Well, we are going to be in the book of Luke this morning. If you've got your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. Um, We are continuing following the lectionary. Um, If you're familiar with what that is, there are churches um, all over the world in the more liturgical or high church tradition that that read and teach based on the church calendar. And we're choosing for a season to follow the church calendar. And today it's leading us to communion as we participate in the sacred moment. We get to do a beautiful thing this morning that I'm really excited about. We're participating with Christians all over the world in the text that we're reading. And we're participating with believers all over the world in the sacred moment that we're participating in, in communion, doing this thing where we remember in our bodies the sacrifice of Jesus in his body. It's a beautiful moment that we get to do together. Um, Luke chapter 12, we're we're following the lectionary for um, another probably two months until mid to late September where we're starting a series slash church emphasis slash we don't know what to call it, but we're doing it. And I'm really excited about it. It's called Storied, and you're not going to want to miss it. We've got more information coming out over the next few weeks, and I can't give you all the details yet because we're putting them into place. But we are choosing to look at the, the stories in the Old Testament of transition, to look at the last two years. Human life has been rough for the last two years for everybody. And we're asking the question, how do we tell our story in light of God's faithfulness? How do we use creativity and art and expression to reimagine where was God working where we couldn't imagine? It. But now, when we see his faithfulness, we can tell the story different. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, like I said, more information is coming out. I can't wait um, for the end of September when we start this series. But today, Luke chapter 12, we're going to start reading in verse 13 as we prepare our hearts for communion. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We ask that as we consider it and prepare our hearts for the moments of communion together, that you would speak, that your name would be glorified, and we would leave today knowing you a little better, being slightly more intimate with you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Have you ever been interrupted, just like blatantly interrupted? Like you're in the middle of a conversation, you're on a train of thought, and someone just like takes it over, you know, just... Yeah, that's the worst, right? It's not fun. Have you ever, um, have you ever accidentally been the interrupter? Yeah, yeah. Like you are, you're super zoned out. You are just like absolutely gone, thinking about something, and then a thought comes to your mind, and you just blurt it out, and then you can tell by the look on everybody else's faces that that was super uncool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me either. Um, this story 
is an interruption story. One of the things that's important is to learn Scripture in context. Scripture is not just a, a collection of individual stories or thoughts, but it's books written as stories that build into stories, thoughts that build into thoughts. It's written like a letter or like a history or like a story. And before these verses that we read, Jesus is talking. And the story says that there is a group gathering, a large group, maybe thousands of people are gathering before Jesus. And Jesus knows that he's about to have to teach them. They've come to hear the teacher. So he starts talking to his disciples. The scripture actually says in verses before that he began speaking to his disciples first. So there's a crowd gathering and Jesus has some things to say to his disciples. And he's warning them. He's saying, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Be careful of this self-righteousness, these lies that are so easy for us all to to access and they can puff us up and they they grow in our hearts. And then he says, don't be afraid of people who can hurt the body but not the soul. And he says, you don't have to worry when people attack you, when people threaten you. You don't have to worry when people take you to court. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. He's encouraging and he's warning and he's preparing his disciples for a significant moment. And then this guy interjects. Now, we don't know if he just came up and didn't realize Jesus was talking, or we don't know if he just didn't care at all what Jesus was saying. What we know is that this guy came with an agenda. He came with something that he wanted from Jesus. And without considering what Jesus was already saying, he came and asked Jesus, hey, settle this dispute between me and my brother over our inheritance. Now, in this culture, it was common for the oldest sibling to be given a double portion of the inheritance, and the younger siblings would be given half as much of the inheritance. And if there was a problem, it was common in that day for the people in the dispute to go to a rabbi or to go to a teacher of the law to have their dispute settled. So that rather than sorting it out among themselves, rather than dealing with it in the family, rather than getting legal counsel, they would go to a spiritual teacher. It'd be kind of like this. Imagine you and I are arguing, and we can't come to an agreement, so I decide, you know what, I'm going to ask Phil. Phil is a Bible teacher. He's very well educated. He knows what he's doing. He is super wise. So I'm just like, hey guys, Phil told me the Bible says I'm right. Pretty hard for you to argue against that, right? Like, I just brought our belief system to bear upon my opinion so that you can't disagree with me, right? So this guy's coming to Jesus, and he's saying, I want a spiritual leader. I want someone to say, this is what the law teaches. I want someone to tell me, I want someone to tell me, God wants you to be fair with me. He's coming to Jesus, and he's asking for his own assumptions to be affirmed by the spiritual leader. He's coming to Jesus wanting affirmation, not teaching. He comes wanting a problem to be solved by the teacher rather than to hear what the teacher has to say. That's important. Jesus' response to him is, man, I like to imagine Jesus with some attitude, like, man, who made me judge or arbiter between you? Who told me to do this? Now, One of the things that is most frustrating and difficult as you grow in maturity and in intimacy with Jesus is learning the things that God isn't concerned with. Jesus' response to this guy is, who made me the judge between the two of you? Who made this my problem? (laughs) 
Now, I want to be careful when I I say this because it would be easy to imply that Jesus isn't concerned with our daily lives. And he is. God is concerned with our daily lives. The consistent analogies of Scripture call God Father and Parent. And Jesus says, if you humans who are deceptive and evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? But as a parent, here's something that we know. There are times when your children come to you and you say there is right and there is wrong. You are, if you do this, you are obeying. And if you don't do it, you're disobeying. Or if you do that thing, you are disobeying. There are times where we give our kids clear and specific and explicit instruction. But there are other times where there's not really a wrong to discuss. There are times where I might say to my son, Josie, I know you're a little bit bored, but you know what toys you can play with. You know where our yard is. You know how to play with the dogs that's not going to hurt them. <laughs> Go have fun. Use your imagination. And I say, make the decision. There's not really a wrong option, and you know where the wrong is. And there are other times, as a parent, where you might look at your child, and you might see that there is, there's a good, and there's, there's a not-so-good. Or there's, there's a good, and there's a better. But we know that part of maturity is learning to apply wisdom. So you might say, I've taught you the principles. I've shown you how to do this. You have the information. It's time for you to make a decision. And part of your growth is to make this decision. See, there are times in our lives as followers of Jesus where God says, do this. If you don't do this, you're disobeying. And I'm not just talking about moral commands. There are times where God says, give this away, move to this place, take this job. He gives us clear instruction and calling. And to not do that is disobedience. There are other times in our relationship with God where he says, you know what? There are lots of great options. And there are other times where God's response to us is, I am teaching you wisdom. You know my ways. Your heart has been formed to my image. Seek wise counsel. Pray and make a good decision. Now, here is one of the consistent problems that we struggle, at least that I struggle with. Maybe you don't struggle with this, and maybe this is just me projecting my issues onto you, which is a trap a lot of preachers fall into, or at least I fall into. Um, We go to the Lord seeking an easy answer to a complicated question so we don't have to wrestle with the nuance. Or we go to the Lord seeking affirmation for the decision that we've already made in our hearts, even though maybe we've told ourselves, I'm still wrestling. But we are going to the Lord not to be taught, but to be affirmed. We, we know what we want the Lord to say, so we will wrestle in prayer until God says that thing. <laughs> even, even though we knew we were just trying to get what we want. You might say we interrupt the Lord. You might say we come to the Lord not to be taught, but to be affirmed. Now this is what's interesting. That Jesus responds to the guy, and it almost seems like Jesus, I don't know, I, I have a hard time imagining Jesus blowing somebody off, but it seems like Jesus was like, you interrupted me, and then he talks to the crowd. He's like, beware of all kinds of greed. Um, and he starts telling this story that, I, this story seems kind of connected, but not the same thing, right? The, this story, we don't know whether this guy's really greedy or not. It, doesn't, it seems more 
fair for the inheritance to be divided up. It seems like this guy is just wanting to be treated fairly, but Jesus' response to him is beware of all kinds of greed, and then he tells this story about a rich man. Now, there are a couple things that are important to notice about the story of the rich man. The first off is that Jesus never calls the rich man evil. Those of us who are not rich really like to paint scripture as if rich people are evil and manipulative because it makes us feel better about not being rich. Like, they must have done something to get that much money, and I must be living the righteous life. Actually, we can both be living righteous lives, and one of us can have a lot, and one of us can have a moderate amount. And yes, in all of Scripture, God has a special place in his heart. He is specially committed to the poor and the downtrodden and the outcast. But it is worth noting that not being able to afford an iced coffee a day does not make me poor and downtrodden. (laughs) Those are different. That doesn't mean the financial struggles of the middle class don't matter. It is worth calibrating, though, that even if I have very little in American standards, I am part of the highest 10% in the world financially. And it is worth noting that even though God is concerned with my daily life, that my struggles in general are not necessarily the struggles of the poor and outcast and downtrodden, but rather what I have has been given to me to help the poor and outcast and downtrodden. But God never calls the rich man evil for being rich. And and the rich man has an abundant harvest, so his perspective after he has this harvest is, I don't have to work anymore. This is great. I've got plenty to live on for the rest of my life. So I would assume he's rich. He's already got great barns, but he tears down his barns and builds new ones so that he never has to work again. And he kicks back and relaxes, and then God says, well, tonight is the end of your life. It's over. And this is what's interesting again. God's response to him is not, you evil, selfish, greedy person. How dare you? God's response is, you fool. That's different. Foolish and evil are not necessarily the same thing. God's response to him isn't, you did this evil, selfish act. God's response to him is, you got what you wanted and what good was it? You got the dream You got what you asked for, but did you see that what you asked for didn't help at all? Who's going to benefit now from the things you've stored up for yourself? See, it's almost like Jesus is responding to this interrupter's question and to the crowd by saying, you come to me and ask for what you want, and that's fine. But what if what you want isn't what you need? What if what you want isn't going to help? Now, I want to tell you this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, God cares about what we want. Okay? God is not distant and disconnected and disinterested in the things we want. But our perspective needs to be to go to the teacher for teaching, not to go to the teacher for solution, not to go to the teacher to get what we want. Because what if what we want has nothing to do with the kingdom of God? And what if, we, what if we would have just listened? Then we would have realized that our hearts could be changed to want the things that we need. As we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, 
This is the question that I want to invite you to ponder. When we take communion, we remember in our bodies the sacrifice of Jesus. We use our senses to remember that Jesus died for us, that he paid the ultimate sacrifice. And we remember that. And when we remember that, we remember that the world does not work how we thought it did. We remember that the most powerful thing that's ever happened in history was sacrifice. We remember that forgiveness and unconditional love are the things that change hearts. We remember the things, the thing that we naturally pursue and the things that we by default long for are not the things that fulfill us. So I want to invite you as we prepare for communion to acknowledge the things that you desire. Maybe you, like me, have dreams on your heart right now. You've got things that you're stressed out about on your heart. You've got things that you long for on your heart right now. I think God sees those things. And some of those things might be wonderful and good and exactly what you should dream of. And some of those things we might need to take to the Lord and say, is this what I should want? So we're going to take three minutes of silence as we prepare for communion. And I want to invite you in this silence to simply ask the Lord, here's what I desire. Teach me what I should desire. Take what you want to take and leave what is for my good. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will engage in silence to prepare for communion. Jesus, we thank you that you are good and kind and faithful. We thank you that you care about us. You know our desires. You know our inmost thoughts. We thank you for that. But we thank you that you also teach us a better way. Reveal to us the things that maybe we want that wouldn't be good for us, that wouldn't be good for the world. Reveal to us the dreams that are too small or that are too selfish. May we come to the teacher to be taught.
as we prepare for communion together. Let's continue changing things up just a little bit. Let's continue in a few moments of silence as we prepare for communion. Silence is so rare in our world. To participate in a spiritual activity in silence is such a rare opportunity. So as we begin to take communion, let's do so in silence, um, without speaking, um, without rushing to close in worship or to fill the space with a minor chord that makes us feel spiritual. As we prepare for communion, um, we're going to participate either by intention in which you will take a piece of bread. This is all gluten-free. If that's something that you need, this is safe for you. Um, You take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and consume together. Um, If you would prefer a more distanced approach, we have individually packaged um, communion elements in the back. I'm on a small table. Those are not gluten-free, but they are individually packaged um, if you would feel more comfortable doing that. Let's prepare to participate in the moment of communion. On the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he lifted the cup. And he said, this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for the salvation of many. Every time you drink, do so in remembrance of me. As you feel ready, you are welcome to come to the front and to participate in communion, to remember in your body, mind, and soul the truth and beauty of Jesus. The table is open.